So welcome everyone. We're doing a series currently on prayer and it's basically called P for Prayer. And it's been that at least over the past few weeks, every topic that we've been looking at has begun with P. And um, this week we're doing petition part two. Um, someone grabbed me during the week. It was actually a prayer meeting and said, Pastor Rob, last week, what's the deal? You know you're supposed to be talking about prayer, right? And they were like, I listened to the message twice and I didn't really get it. Um, well, I think I mentioned last week that it was part one. Um, this is part two. Hopefully, there'll be a consolidation of thinking. Um, so if you turn to Genesis 18, I say 18, and we're also going to do the first verse of chapter 19. So um, just bear that in mind. <clears throat> so we are in the process of highlighting a few passages that describe prayer. Um, would you join me and just say prayer? Pray, Amy, I just want to get everyone's attention. And it's one thing to talk about it, um, but really in the hope of applying some principles in order to influence our practice. You know what I mean? We want to we wanna understand and appreciate, but then appropriate these principles so that actually they contribute to us practicing prayer. So hopefully you're with me in Genesis 18. I'm going to read from verse 27 through to chapter 19, verse 1, and I'm reading from the ESV. After we've read it, then I'll pray. Verse 27 says, Abraham answered and said, Behold, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Again, he spoke to him and said, suppose 40 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. He said, behold, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry. And I will speak again, but this once. Suppose 10 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham and Abraham returned to his place. Genesis chapter 19, next chapter, verse 1. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's a light to our feet. It's a lamp unto our path. Lord, without your word, we're in darkness would you please help us today by providing some light? Lord, we're all, in, we're all different people and facing different circumstances. Lord, would you please provide light in a supernatural way for every single person in this room today? I pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. So last week... Um, as mentioned, we pretty much had two points, and we just really kind of looked at one, um, although not in 
in totality. So the first point was God's righteousness and justice revealed. And then the second point was God's mercy and judgment revealed. Um, the big question last week as we looked at point one was, will God sweep away the righteous with the wicked? No. But he could have. And for all intents and purposes, he should have. <clears throat> because we saw that ultimately everyone is wicked and deserving of God's judgment the question ought not to be should God sweep anyone away like should God sweep anyone away no the question really ought to be should God save anyone well our story answers or continues to answer that question affirmatively we began talking about Abraham, Abram, first called, right? Um, and his name Abram means exalted father. But Abram has his name changed to Abraham in chapter 17, meaning father of a multitude. In chapter 11 and chapter 12 of, of Genesis, we see Abraham's calling which involves him moving from Ur to the promised land or to Canaan, right? We also, in conjunction with, with his calling, see Abraham's carnality in chapter 12. Remember, he takes his eyes off the Lord and he begins to trust in the arm of the flesh and he runs down to Egypt because of the famine, right? In chapter 14, um, we see... I suppose the, the opposite or at least something positive opposed to negative. And we see Abraham's courage. We see that Abraham had over 300 trained servants. Um, and, and he takes on the four kings, doesn't he? And then he ends up delivering Lot. Courage. But then also in chapter 14, we see Abraham's communion. Melchizedek comes to meet him with bread and wine which is interesting because Melchizedek is not just the priest, he's the high priest, you know what I'm saying? God's high priest. And he has no beginning of days, no end of days. He has no mother, no father, just steps into the, onto the scene, you know what I'm saying, kind of supernaturally. Who is this mysterious individual Melchizedek? Well, the Bible says that the, the, the lesser is blessed by the, by the greater. So he's great. And it's funny because the Bible calls him not just a righteous king, it calls him king of righteousness. And he's not just a, a, God, a, a king who has peace, he's king of peace, this Melchizedek. It's funny, it's a, it's a very unusual picture of someone that, that, that the writer of Hebrews will identify with Jesus. So, Abraham, Abraham has communion with this mystery individual. And in, in chapter 14, and in chapter 15... We see God's covenant with Abraham. And his descendants are going to be like the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore. And the Bible says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. God's covenant in chapter 15. In chapter 16, then, again, a, a kind of another slip, another slide. And we see Abraham's compromise. 
which then results in the complicated birth of Ishmael, and I'm saying, and um, yeah, you know how that story goes. Um, sleeping with his handmaiden, or at least Sarah's handmaiden, Hagar. And then um, in chapter 17, Abraham kind of fixes up, the Lord rebukes him, and um, says to him, walk before me uprightly, and then Abraham is circumcised. Um, which is a sign of God's everlasting covenant. And then we see, um, as we picked up last week and the week before, this contrast between Abraham and Lot. And um, as, as, you, as you look up at that list, um, kind of positive, negative, kind of positive, 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 and then some negatives, um, would it be fair to say that that probably is a true reflection of most of our lives? And I'm saying we have good times, don't we? But we have bad times. Um, sometimes we're on a mountaintop with the Lord, but boy, sometimes you have to kind of link me in the valley. You can't find me. I'm in the valley. You know what I'm saying? Where it's dark and it's difficult. I don't know if you, if, if you can relate to that. You know what I'm saying? And if you like, on one hand, you see Abraham, um, he gains God's blessing, doesn't he? You know what I'm saying? Um, in spite of his failure. But at the same time, we see something very similar, but antithetical, kind of like the opposite with Lot. And I want to try and be careful with this. On one hand, you see Abraham, you know what I'm saying, he's gaining and he's benefiting in his relationship with God. But then you look at Lot, and Lot is losing. You know what I'm saying? He's not really gaining. He's becoming deficient. And then you see Abraham on this hand. Abraham is blessed. But then you look at Lot, and Lot's life is blighted. Abraham, although faltering, failing, and fumbling, he gains God's promises, doesn't he? And then here comes his, his children, and, and then after that, you know what I'm saying, his grandchildren, and here comes the land, and here comes livestock, and blessing in Abraham's life, right? Lot, on the other hand, although eventually rescued, and we're going to come back to this, Lot loses his wife. Lot loses his home. Lot loses his children, or should I say his great-great-grandchildren. You see the, the complex comparison and contrast between Abraham and Lot? How many of you know, um, like people talk about um, there being many different races, you know what I'm saying? We as believers would say there's only one race, you know what I'm saying? And it's the human race. Although there is a distinction and it's not black and white and Indian and Chinese, those are not the distinctions. There's one race and it's the human race. The only distinctions are Within the race, the human race, which side of the line are you on? Are you in the saved category or are you in the unsaved category? Those are, that's really the only line of distinction. And I'm saying all this argument over race, and that's, it's, not, it's, not, it's, it's, first, it's, it's worse than secondary. But what we would say is there's two categories. Now, let's put aside the unsaved category for a moment. Let's just look at the saved category, if you like, of people. I'd like to argue that there's, um, within that safe category, a spectrum, right? And 
you have at one end of the spectrum, remember this is the safe category, right? At one end of the spectrum, you have those who are more obedient to God. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you've got those who are less obedient to God. But they're all still in the saved category. You have, in the, you have at one end of the saved category spectrum, you have those who, those who draw nearer to God. But at the other end of that same spectrum, you've got those that don't really draw that near to the Lord. I don't know if you think that would be fair to say. There are those at this end of the spectrum in the safe category who bear much fruit. And then you've got those at the other end of the safe spectrum that don't bear as much fruit as they could. I mean, we know in the Gospels, Jesus himself talks about those who bear a, a hundredfold, right? Much fruit. But then there are those who, who only bear 60. Sadly, there's another category within the saved category who only produce 30% or 30-fold, I should say. Is that not true? So you've got one end, this amazing realized potential, and then the other end of the spectrum, this, un, this, this unrealized potential. You see how I'm trying to illustrate the difference between Abraham and Lot. Although both are believers, Abraham and Lot have different experiences. We'll come back to Lot in a moment. Now, may we be encouraged to respond like Abraham, who, as God draws near to him, he draws near to, to God. And how many of you know it's always easy to work out somebody else's salvation? You know what I mean? You'd be like, whether that person's saved or not. Boy, look at how they behave, man. Mm -mm. And they call themselves a Christian. Right? It's real easy to do that. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe you're not as wicked and sinful as I am in sometimes sadly doing that. And I'm saying it's always easy to try to work out somebody else's salvation as opposed to me trying to work out whether I'm saved or not. Trying to work out my own salvation. You know what I'm saying? With fear and trembling. Amen? You know, C.S. Lewis has got a quote. And um, he says, he says, put first things first. And second things are thrown in. Put second things first and you lose both first and second things. Do you remember the Lord Jesus in Matthew 6 says, what does he say in relation to this? He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And guess what? Everything else will be added unto you in the context. It's talking about house and, you know what I'm saying, clothing and food and all of that stuff, right? But when you go chasing the stuff, you've got to be careful that you don't end up losing the stuff because you only, even if you gain it, have it temporarily, this life. And then you could easily, potentially, end up losing that which is most important. This is quite a severe warning, isn't it? Although far from perfect, right? This is amazing. It's nothing more than grace that the Lord relates and even refers to Abraham as his friend. Knowing that Abraham himself is a sinner, right? But he's experiencing God's grace. And three times in the Bible, Abraham is given this title, the friend of God. 
I wonder if you could turn me down just a little bit, please. Just a little bit. Thank you. Three times Abraham is given a title, the friend of God. The first time is in Second Chronicles, where King Jehoshaphat makes the reference. And it says, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You, you rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you, our God. Did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it to the descendants of Abraham? Notice, your friend. Okay, that's in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, which is the, the last time it's referenced, that is Abraham as God's friend, is James chapter 2. In James 2 verse 23, it says, And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and note, he was called a friend of God. And then in the middle, so that's at the beginning of the Bible, that's at the end of the Bible, if you like. Then in the middle, quite, we get the Lord, not, 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 not King Jehoshaphat or James, we get the Lord himself say, <clears throat> referring to Abraham, but you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend. Wouldn't you, like, wouldn't, wouldn't you love it if the Lord referred to you in that fashion? Imagine privately would be one thing, but then publicly in the Bible for everyone to hear. This is how, this is how God feels about Abraham. And, you know, some identifying markers of God's friendship with Abraham that we've seen. God comes to visit Abraham, remember, at the beginning of this chapter. It says, in the heat of the day, in verse 1. Now, does that remind you of something that you may have heard earlier in the Bible? God visits Abraham in the heat of the day. Remember in Genesis, God visited Adam, but it was in the cool of the day. You know what I mean? Reminded me of, of God's relationship with, with Adam. Slightly reminiscent of that beautiful relationship in the garden. Remember God comes to, to visit Abraham in Genesis 18, completely unannounced. He never sent him a text message or a whatsapp and said i'm gonna come and link you he just turns up unannounced spontaneously and how many of you know only friends can do that <laughs> you know what i mean only friends can do that some friends i mean they're such close friends they come to your yard and they'll knock on the door and if you're not there they little bop right they'll go around the back of the house open the gate and go banging on the, the kitchen window you know what i mean and it's funny because at prayer meeting um, on Tuesday night, we reflected on the fact that, you know, Jesus encourages us to come and pray in that fashion. He says, knock and the door be answered. Seek and you'll find, right? Ask and you'll receive. And in the Greek, the intimation is you do all three of those things at the same time. It's you knocking on the door. Uh, Lord, are you, are you, you know, say, Harry, are you in? You in? And you're looking through the window at the same time as you're knocking on the door and you're calling at the same time. So you're asking, you're knocking, you're seeking. That's, uh, and that's, uh, if I said that, you'd be like, come on, that's being a bit, you're exaggerating a bit, Pastor Rob. But Jesus said that, did he not? And again, it's, it's, it's an example of the relationship that we have the opportunity to enjoy. But the question is, Will we take up that opportunity? Will we take up that opportunity? And I'm saying, well, 
It's funny, it's not Abraham that goes looking for the Lord. The Lord comes knocking for Abraham. Remember when your friend used to come and knock for you to get to play? And Jesus tells a story, doesn't he, in the New Testament about the friend that comes knocking at what time? Midnight, you know. You better be my bridging if you're going to be knocking on my door at midnight. True? Again, it's this relationship that is describing. And, and back to Genesis 18, God comes not only to visit Abraham, not only does he visit him unannounced, God comes to bless Abraham. I'm saying, and we see, we see the lesser friend get blessed by the better friend. I'm saying this friendship. Abraham, uh, let's look at Abraham's responses. Abraham humbly receives God in verse 2. It says, when he saw the Lord, he ran to meet him. Now, you've got to remember, Abraham, in his culture, like, he's like a sheikh. Like, he's one of them Bedouins who, they sit in the, in the, out in, in, the, um, in the desert, you know what I'm saying, with their tents and that. And they, people run, come to him. Remember, he's got over 300 odd trained servants. You know what I'm saying? He don't go run into nobody. It's a bit like the story of the prodigal son. It's very unusual to see a man of esteem running. <laughs> see, that shows his humility. Abraham is God's friend, but he knows his place. Now, Abraham, he refers to God as Lord in verse 3. The word is Adonai, means almighty. I'm saying now, Abraham's Lord. I mean, I think even Sarah at some point calls him Lord. Ladies? <laughs> How do you feel about that one? Calling your husband Lord. No, no, no. Amen. Don't go there. But she did. And I'm saying... Uh, um, but Abraham refers to God as Lord. You know, you know what I'm saying? Abraham knows who he's dealing with. Even though there's a friendship and there's this relationship, you know what I'm saying? <clears throat> and, and it's crazy. Going back to the thing, Abraham's got servants. But how many of you know in, in, in Genesis 18, Abraham serves the Lord? I mean, he does draw a little bit on Sarah like, all right, we're gonna, we're, we need to kill an animal and Sarah, you need to go in the kitchen and get some food together and, you know what I'm saying? But it, again, he could have called his servants to do that. Abraham serves the Lord. He's the servant of the Lord in verse 3. In verse 2, it says, Abraham worshipped. I mean, it's, again, it's like we've got to make sure that we've got the, the relationship with God. Even though he's our friend, we have to make sure that, again, we know our place. And Abraham worships the Lord. You know what I'm saying? In verse 2, it says he, bounds, he's, he bows down. You know what I'm saying? As much as God is his friend, Abraham ain't out here saying, God is my homie. You seen them t-shirts? Like, Jesus is my homie, you know. It's like, we got, Jesus is my boyfriend. I ain't heard that one. That's a new one. But I suppose, now in the cultural climate, you know what I'm saying? It's like, but we've got to be careful, don't we? Um, it's, it's funny. We see loads of these kind of juxtapositions in the Bible. This, like, God is a friend and he's close. But at the same time, you know, the, the, the theological term for God's closeness is his imminence. He's imminent. He's real close and personal. He doesn't wind the world up and just leave it and walk away and let it do its thing. No, God is integrally related. He's, he's imminent. He's close. And I'm saying Jesus in Revelation 3 is the one who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. And the seven golden candlesticks are the seven churches. But at the same time, he's, although he's imminent, he's also, what's the, what's the opposite? 
He's transcendent. He ain't like us. He ain't like you and me. He's different. He's separate. He's distinct or he's holy. If you're like, God is alien. And that is like, you know, the technical term means not of this place. And we've got, to, we've got to bear these things in mind. And Abraham knows his place. Like we said, verse 27 last week, he refers to himself as dust and ashes when he approaches the Lord carefully, albeit on the basis of friendship. Abraham also responds hastily, immediately in verse 2, as we said earlier. He, he ran or he hurried from the entrance of his tent. Here in Genesis 18, <clears throat> God comes to visit his friend Abraham. But God, the term for God is Yahweh. It's, um, it's, it's, his, it's God's covenant name. And that communicates much in, in, in the way of God's nearness, God's love, his care, his commitment, his friendship. And, 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 and it's funny, Abraham... Was Elijah? Shout out Elijah. Abraham has the privilege now with this relationship. He has the privilege of petition. He has the privilege of prayer in this very moment, doesn't he? And at this point, particularly, why? Because of the outcry. That's why Abraham is petitioning. That's why he's praying. You say the outcry. Remember from last week, the backdrop of this section is God's righteousness and justice revealed. Verse 17 to 21. And because God is righteous, God must judge. God's loving and he's kind, but there are two sides to the coin. And I'm saying... And because God is just, he has to judge. And it doesn't, in verse, in Genesis chapter 18, um, <clears throat> verse 20 and 21, it says, Then the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, and their sin is so grievous, that I will go down and see. Now you can, just, just from verse 20, you can see that God is very merciful. Isn't he? Because all this time, God's just been biding his time. He hasn't brought judgment. But notice, it's got to the point where um, it's so great and it's so grievous is the sin. Look, there's an outcry. And God says, I'm going to go down, I'm going to see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me, if not, I will know. And a part of what this is saying is God is, is very just, you know what I'm saying, and he can never be accused of being unjust because God don't go with secondhand information. God be like, okay, I, I, for real? Mm, okay. Right, l let me check for myself. Innit? I hear you. I'm not saying that you're a liar, but because then no one can't say, when I make the determined decision, I think there's something we can all learn in that. But a part of my question in response to this is outcry. Have you ever wondered to yourself, where did the outcry, outcry from? Where did it come from? And I'm saying, who was doing the outcrying? Who do you think? That's a question. 
while I get a sip of water. <clears throat> Can you believe still dealing with this thing, you know? This, they say it's some mad strain of wine, wine flu. <laughs> Did you think about the question? Who do you think is crying out? Who's, where does, where's the outcry come from? Man said probably from God. Lot. Interesting. Well, maybe it's Abraham. Didn't mean to just skip over your answer there, brother. Um, maybe it's Abraham. It's because you gave the answer too quick. Maybe it's Abraham crying out to the Lord. You know what I'm saying? Because he knows what's going on in Sodom, right, and Gomorrah. Um, but that would be, I wouldn't say it's too easy, but it could, it could pretty much stand to reason. But like Bertram says, maybe, maybe it could be Lot. Think about it. And this, this, and this would make a lot of sense. And when I tell you this, I find this so helpful. Although living in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation in Sodom, how many of you know Lot was righteous? And that might come as a surprise. You'd be like, really? Well, my man was living in Sodom. What? So we have Lot living in the midst of madness, potentially struggling I mean, is it strange for a believer to be in a circumstance or in a place where they ought not to be? Of course not. All of us often find, all of us sometimes at some point find ourselves in a place where we shouldn't be. Literally and metaphorically. Amen. Thank you, my brother. You know what I mean? <laughs> Thank you. Praise the Lord. Um, we, find our, we find ourselves in a, because otherwise my point ain't going to make no point if you, don't, if you don't agree with that. You know what I mean? You're in that place where I shouldn't really be here. And two twos, <clears throat> because two twos are like, the fact that you know you ought not to be there is saying something about you. You heard it said, right, sometimes um, I'm, I'm too much of a saint to enjoy the world. And then when I get in the world, you know what I'm saying, I'm too much of a, 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 a no, no, how's it go? The other way around. I'm too much of a saint to... You know what I mean. You know what I mean. You're not happy in either place. But you're in that place where it's an, it, it's, this ain't a good place. And you know it. Praise the Lord that you know it. If you don't know it, that's a, that's a real problem. Remember, we're talking about those in the category of the saved, right? So you're in a place you know you shouldn't be. How do you feel when you're in that place? It's like... I know I shouldn't be in this place. None of you lot should be in this place, neither. And sometimes I would tell you, and you would turn around and say, but wait a minute. What, what, what on earth are you doing? Are you telling me? You know? And that happens. And you would defend to the hilt how wrong it is. But you still find yourself in that place. You know what I'm saying? And apart from God's grace, and I'm arguing that I think that's where Lot was. That's where Lot was, in the midst of madness, struggling with himself, struggling with what's going on around him, wrestling with sin up close and personally, but yet possibly crying out to God in that instance. I don't know if anyone can understand that dichotomy. <laughs> crying out to God, you know, about the sinful state of Sodom and his own sinful state. And how many of you know Sodom was sinful? 
I mean, it's, it's from the word Sodom that we get the word sodomy. Lot possibly, possibly, remember, I'm suggesting this. Lot possibly, you know what I'm saying, crying out, and then you've got Abraham over here in acceding. You get the picture? Two types of prayer there, right? But prayer nonetheless. You've got one man who's on it. He ain't in the bad place, and he's praying for those in the bad, but then you've got the, the righteous man in that bad place, but still crying out. Wow. How many of you know the sins at this, this point, the sins of Sodom are complete. They've, they've come to the full. You know, in Genesis 15, 16, the Lord speaks about the Amorites and says, I'm going to deal with them, but not just yet because the sins of the Amorites are not yet complete. Well, can't say that about Sodom. It's peak for Sodom. Because it seems like they've hit their sinful limit. And God is about to bring righteous judgment. Second Peter chapter 2 speaks about this judgment. And it's funny because it doesn't stop with humans. It speaks of the angels who sinned and were cast into a place called what? Anybody know the name of the place the angels were cast? It's a place called Tartarus. Possibly a deep subcategory of hell. Mm -hmm. And a similar thing happened to Noah, right? Judgment through water and the flood. How many, how many of you know, many experience God's righteous judgment, but then, oh my gosh, here's, here's the righteous judgment, but here's the grace of God. A few get spared, Noah and his family. And then with Sodom and Gomorrah, judgment's going to come, but this time through fire. And many are going to perish. But again, we see a handful, don't we, who were spared, who were saved. Second Peter 2 says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, the Greek word Tartarus. You know, there's loads of words for hell. Hades, Gehenna, Sheol, Tartarus is just another one of those. But distinct. But cast these angels into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. If by turning, verse 6, this is us now, by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he, notice, if he left Lot to burn, it doesn't say that, does it? If he rescued Lot, it doesn't say that, does it? If he rescued righteous Lot, notice, and I think this makes my point previously, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. He wasn't a happy man in Sodom, just like you and me ain't happy when we're in sin. Dis not just distressed, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds, and he saw and heard. And I'm saying, could it be he's the one that is crying out to God? You ever been in that place? 
and you know you can't get out and you're like, Lord, if you don't get me out, I'm finished. That will make you cry. Sometimes bawl out loud. Verse 9, then the Lord knows, notice, how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the righteous, sorry, to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. The Lord knows how to do that. And we're going to see this in a minute. Verse 10, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Now remember the difference between mercy and grace. Mercy is not getting what you did. What? You did what? And I'm saying, and, and, the, and the executioner draws out the Excalibur. And I'm saying, and then as he's about to strike your neck, severing, head from torso, somebody runs in and grabs the arm and begs and pleads for mercy. Now, if he determines to give it, you are now not going to get what you deserved. That's mercy. Grace, on the other hand, is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy and grace. So can you see, God is righteous and just in bringing judgment on Sodom, but he's gracious and loving in forgiving Abraham and even Lot. Wow. God's righteousness and justice revealed. Our second point, God's mercy and judgment revealed. Verse 22 to 19, verse 1. So Abraham, he recognizes God's mercy, doesn't he, in himself. We see that in his relationship with God and the friendship. And now begins to intercede for the the remaining members of the city, including, obviously, Lot and his family. And he's like, surely there must be 50 righteous. You know what I'm saying? People there. As he begins to intercede, as he begins to talk to the Lord about this. You know what I'm saying? Verse 26. And the Lord said, okay, if I find... At Sodom, 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. So the Lord agrees to spare the city for the sake of 50 righteous. Wow. Verse 27, Abraham answered and said, Behold, I've, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord. I who am but dust and ashes. Verse 28, suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And the Lord says, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. And Abraham's like, boy, can I risk it? Who knows? You know how wicked and bad. Sarah, Sodom's wicked and bad, isn't it? Boy, 45 may not be. And he goes back again to the Lord. Verse 29, again, he spoke to him. He said, suppose, suppose 40 are found there. He answered, the Lord answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then the Lord agrees to spare the city, if you like, for the, for, for the sake of 40 righteous Verse 30, then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 have found it. The Lord answered. I remember, remember, the Lord's pulled up a chair, if you like, at this point, And he's having this conversation. He doesn't need to be having this conversation with Abraham, but Abraham is his friend. And the Lord agrees to spare the city for the sake of 30, for the sake of 20. Verse 32, then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry. And I was not knowing that the Lord actually is you know what I'm saying, is entertaining this because this is the Lord's heart. 
otherwise. Why would he, he wouldn't do it otherwise? Verse 32, then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak again. But this once, bro, you're going to leave it. You, 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 you're going you're gonna to stop. stop here. Yeah, yeah, just this once. Like, Abraham, why are you going to stop there, bro? I mean, you've gone this far already. Suppose 10 are found there, and the Lord answers, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And again, the Lord agrees to spare the city for the sake of 10 righteous. Now, as I said, Abraham surprisingly stops at this point. Why not go all the way, you know what I'm saying, all the way down to one, if not at least to five? Because you know that Lot has got his wife and then he's got his two kids. I don't know, maybe they've got a couple of kids. Maybe at least five would have been a safer number. Just in case. Now, I'm kind of extrapolating. At this point, some could easily assume. You see, some would from this point begin to say, you see how much power you got in prayer? You see how, you know, the Bible says, you know what? You can speak to the mountain, you know. And the mountain has to move, you know. The Bible says, whatever things you ask for in prayer, believe that you receive, you know what I'm saying? And, and if you believe it, you have it. Now, you could eat. Can you see how easily you could just segue into? It wouldn't be said like this, but I mentioned it before. Just rub the lamp. And when the genie comes out, you tell the genie what you want. Take free, free, free options, you know what I'm saying? And, 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 and call those things which be not as though they were. Come on. Why? Why not? You're the head and not the tail. You're above and not beneath. You're blessed coming in and blessed going out. <laughs> you got authority in the name of Jesus. You see, can you see how easily this can go down that route, down that road? See? Abraham's controlling the conversation now. Huh, authority. You got that kind of authority in prayer, some would say. See, you could easily assume that God is responding to the dictates of Abraham. What do you think? Do you think Abraham could have pressed it further? Based on the tone and the tenor of the conversation, you can see where it's going. I mean, Abraham is obviously a militant intercessor. I mean, why not continue, Abraham? A few more words. One more, one more moment in prayer, Abraham. Fam, you drop the, you, you're potentially going to drop the ball, Abraham. A little more persistence could have possibly saved the lives of many. Abraham, you're finished too soon. You should have persevered a little more in prayer. Hmm. See, we've got to be careful. In verse 33... If you opened your Bible with me at the beginning, when I, I thought I quite nicely asked you. Um, verse 33. Who does it sound like is dictating the proceedings? See, my question now, if you ain't got your Bible open, I'm going to help you, right? Because I, I want you to get this point. In Genesis 18, verse 33, which is the last verse in chapter 18, right? Who does it sound like is dictating the proceedings? The verse says, and the Lord went his way when Abraham finished interceding. Does it say that? No, I don't say that. So the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham. 
And then Abraham returned to his business. Can you, can you, you see the emphasis? It's not on Abraham. We got to be, Warren Wiersbe says that God is the one dictating, not Abraham. Don't get it twisted. God all the while had determined to separate the righteous, that is Lot and his family, from the wicked. God's plan all along. But God wanted Abraham to be a part of the process. And when God's will is arrived at, in conjunction with Abraham's prayers, if you like, Abraham arrives at that point in the prayer, in his intercession, when he says, Lord, this is my desire. Lord, but not my will, your will be done. And therein lies the beauty of prayer. Prayer isn't me getting my will done in heaven. It's God getting his will done down here on earth. God has his perfect plans, many of which we are invited to tap into in our prayers, which is a wonderful example of intercessory prayer. Can you see? God keeps his place and his position. And we keep ours, and as lowly as it is, it's still privileged. We, like, how, dare we, how dare we grasp for anything more than that? Can you see God's mercy, his willingness to spare, working in conjunction with the righteous, with Abraham, especially those who are willing to stand in the gap, you know. But at the same time, you see God's judgment. God is righteous and just, but he's also gracious and loving, working together in conjunction with his people. Now let's end on our final verse. <clears throat> Remember, the final verse is the first verse of the next chapter, Genesis 19, verse 1. And again, I'm going to help you. I told you off, didn't I, but I'm helping you still. Verse 19, chapter 19, verse 1 says, The two angels came <clears throat> to Sodom in the evening. Remember we said these three individuals, one was the Lord and the other two were probably angels, but it's confirmed in verse 1 of chapter 19. The two angels came to Sodom, because the Lord's still chatting to Abraham when they walked off, right? But the Lord... The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. Although righteous, Lot is not in a good place. Do you remember when we did Psalm 1? And we said what? Before I quote Psalm 1, you know it. But notice, the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was doing what? Sitting in the gate of Sodom. Psalm 1 says, blessed is the man. Thank you, Harry. Blessed is the man or woman. Was that funny? <laughs> blessed is the man. Harry's my, Harry's my G. <laughs> blessed is the man or woman who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor, s oh, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Now, we previously talked about the progression if you've never heard it before in Psalm 1 you can see it walking ending up standing and then eventually ending up can you see how Lot foolishly walks in the direction of Sodom remember because of his own selfishness I want the good land and I'm saying and he gets to the point where he not only stands in Sodom my man ends up building a three-bedroom house 
in Sodom and taking up residence in Ur. And then we see he finds himself sitting in verse 1 of chapter 19. And it's possibly even worse because he's, notice he's sitting in the gate. Sitting in the gate is a biblical metaphor for being a leader in the city. Now, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt because it could also be that he's a leader in Sodom. Now, remember, we're saying that we, the Bible says that he's righteous and he's struggling, isn't he? Maybe he's a leader and he's thinking, I can turn this around. You ever been in a situation if you're like, you know what? And like, everyone's like, don't do it. You're like, no, nah, man, it's all right. It's all right. I can change it. You know, like, everyone's like, don't do it. Like, don't, mar don't marry her. Don't marry, don't do it. No, 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 I can change them. You know what I'm saying? Circumstances, don't do it. And you feel like, no, man, I got this. I'm strong enough. And I mean, I got this. Don't worry. You remember the Bible says, take heed when you think you stand, lest you fall. Lot never took that advice. And here he is. But I'm arguing that possibly he was there thinking, I can bring about change here. Bro, the rot is too deep. It's gone too, like, you got man banging on your front door, telling you that they want the men in, that you got in there, you know what I'm saying, because they want to have sexual relations with them. And then rather than you run them, I mean, you shouldn't be in there in the first, rather than you run them, like proper run them, you know what I'm saying, you're saying to them, take my daughters instead. It's like, evident, like, be like, fam, like, look, you obviously are not handling this thing. You know what I mean? But maybe in his mind, he thought he was. And maybe he was trying to establish some kind of righteous standard. Maybe. Not sure. But as the story develops, those in the city, we see they don't respect my man. He's, 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 he's sitting in the gate like a leader, but we're not feeling your leadership. We're not feeling it. And they, and, and they don't respond to Lot's righteousness. Sadly, things turn out quite distressing for Lot. Although he himself is rescued just about, he loses his wife. So, to conclude, You've got the category, you've got the saved and you've got the unsaved. In that saved category, what end of the spectrum do we find ourselves? You know what I'm saying? Are we more like Abraham, kind of seeking the Lord, drawing near to the Lord, wanting what the Lord wants in a real genuine friendship with the Lord? Or are we at the other end, are we at the lot end of the spectrum where we ain't really trying to draw near to the Lord and it ain't really that big a deal? Ain't really trying to spend time with the Lord, hence our prayer lives are really not much to write home about. We've been saying for the past few weeks that we're trying to help us as a church, you know what I mean? One, praying for the church in a concerted manner, but also inviting you as the church to come join with us in prayer. Because, I mean, if you know, like for us right now, it's, it's a bit challenging which is probably an understatement. And um, here's an opportunity for us to put into practice these principles and call on the Lord, call on the Lord for ourselves. 
and I'm saying recognizing that we're but dust, but then also having that privilege to cry out for others who, who possibly can't cry out for themselves. Those who are in the church, like we just described using Lot as the example, and obviously for those who are outside the church. You know what I mean? This ain't never going to change, regardless of what we're going through or where we find ourselves. How many of you know, like, the gospel is always going to still be relevant? And it's always relevant for us. You know what I'm saying? We need to preach the gospel to ourselves daily, but the gospel is always going to be relevant to those who are outside. And we can never lose sight of that. And hopefully this empowers and fuels our prayers for ourselves and for others. Um, I'm not going to ask the team to come up. Thank you for preparing a song otherwise. Can I play us a song? I just want you to, I think the words are going to come up and hopefully the sound's going to play. My laptop's a bit dodgy, um, but hoping it's going to pray. Would you listen to the words of this song and make, if you're moved in any way by all that we've talked about, make this, make this song your prayer. I'm saying, amen. And then, and then I'll pray at the end and we'll conclude. Was a broken man trying to grow up and make life worthwhile? And I know there were times that you probably shouldn't, but I thank you always loving me. And I know anyone else they probably wouldn't, but I Now I know there were days I'd look at myself I felt like less of a person compared to everyone else What about this flaw too big, too small, can I exchange? And trying to make up for what I fell short, I let sin slip away But when I look in the mirror and don't like what I see, oh, I just thank you for always loving me. And I know I get bad, but you wait patiently. I want to thank you for always loving me. Thank you always loving me. See, you just keep loving me. Loving me. Thank you for loving me. Loving me. Thank you for loving me. Loving me. Oh, Lord, I want to thank you. 
Father, thank you, first of all, for helping me not to break down. I, ne I can never listen to that song without it making me cry. Father, we so, as believers, we so want to be like Abraham. I say we want to be like Abraham on his better days. And on his better days, Lord, he was humble he was happy to serve he was he was always he was he was reminiscent of who he was and the fact that he was but dust on his good days but even abraham had bad days thank you for loving him as the father of faith But in similar fashion, thank you for loving his kids, his spiritual kids. Thank you for loving those who put their trust in Christ Jesus, who become the sons of Abraham. Thank you for loving us. Lord, we've got our good days and we feel good on them good days. But Lord, we have our bad days. And Lord, we feel horrendous on those days. But that's the good end of the spectrum, Lord. What about when we're like Lot? We're at the other end of the spectrum. And we ain't making no good decisions. It's one bad decision after another bad decision after another bad decision. And we don't just find ourselves walking towards a particular place. It'd be bad enough if we found ourselves standing in a particular bad place, Lord. But we find ourselves sometimes taking up residence in a bad place, in an unhealthy place. And Lord, we find ourselves crying out to you when we're in that place and yet feeling completely incapable of helping ourselves. Thank you that in those moments for loving us and for coming in like Superman, with your cape fluttering in the breeze and wear olive oil and you, you lift us up off of that rock and, 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 and just calmly, easily, powerfully rescue us 
out of that terrible place. Even if it means you grabbing us by our head and our hair and pulling us out, you will rescue us. And we thank you. And it's because, it's because of the fact that you love us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving me. And thank you for rescuing me. Even when we don't want to rescue ourselves, Lord, when we're in that bad place. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving me. And Lord, I, I do want to pray for, for anyone who may be here that doesn't know you. They've not become a, your friend. You are not in relationship with them. If anything, they're your enemy. And that is, that's been plainly seen by the way that they've been living their life. And Lord, we've all been there. Lord, maybe there's someone here today that you want to make a covenant with like you did with Abraham. You want to create a new relationship with them. Lord, like you graciously did with us. I pray, Lord, they would draw near to you as you have been drawing near to them today. And they would step across that line. Everyone is in the human race, but not everyone is in your grace. And not everyone is in your family. Help them to step across that line and no longer be an enemy, but become a friend of God. Lord, deliver them out of the kingdom of darkness and put them into the kingdom of light. And all because of what Jesus did, all because of what Jesus achieved at the cross. The righteous for the guilty making an exchange so that that person today or those people today can make that transition into your kingdom. Thank you for loving them. Thank you for loving us. Lord, thank you for loving me through the Lord Jesus. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.